Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr. We have another amazing show for you today. I am joined by Jamie Walker as the SVP of Global Marketing at Key Factor. Jamie is responsible for leading a high-performance marketing team that drives brand, demand, and experience. Prior to Key Factor, Jamie held various marketing roles at high-growth startups, leading all aspects of demand marketing, including client upsell, digital, testing optimization, account-based marketing, field marketing, and channel marketing. Jamie, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Awesome. Well, nice to see you, Brandy, and thank you so much for having me today. Yes, it is awesome. Uh, you know, for those that don't know Jamie, I, we go way back. Uh, we, you know, I, I think back in Vegas when we held that <laughs> epic customer event You're together. The Vegas story, right? Yes, I mean, <laughs> you know, people need to know that I am talking to like marketing legends here and not just yeah. some random person. Um, yeah. So it is so good to talk to you. Um, and I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So Jamie, tell me what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? There's a few. I feel like it was. it's really hard to narrow it down to one. I feel like the phrase that I would like to get eliminated is like, can marketing just support us a little bit? <laughs> that <laughs> phrase could go away because there's a lot of meaning and attention behind that. But I would have to say... Uh, my buzzword would be, well, it's words, dark funnel. And uh, the dark funnel, this mysterious place that everyone seeks to understand. But uh, and I think the reason why um, I say that for us now at Key Factor is it depends on the type of company or how you kind of go to market and who your accounts are. For us, we have a pretty finite market. So there's not really a dark funnel of people and company or companies that we don't know. So that was one of the things where I think if you're in, uh, you know, an SMB and mid market, the idea of dark funnel is this amazing concept because you get to figure out people who could be potentials. But for us in my world, in this enterprise space I'm in, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's just more of like, oh, I just want to stop talking about that because we need to focus <laughs> on the people and the funnel that we know. <laughs> and, you know, it sounds so ominous. Like, you know, you think about the dark web because like that's where all the shady stuff happens. Like I watch a lot of crime drama and, you know, it's always like someone's out on the dark web. They're scheduling a hit or, you know, like all these insane things. And so when you say dark funnel, like, and maybe it's just me, but that's where my brain goes. Like it's this total ominous things where, you know, criminal activity happens and yes. totally not <laughs> what it actually represents. No, not at all. It's actually this, like, it's yeah, but yeah, criminal minds, right? I feel like any of those, like the dark, the secrets always has to be some little sketchy corner or, or, or plot going into it. But uh, yeah, the dark funnel is very much just, you know, 
it makes sense, but it's also, it can be noisy too. If you don't have a good like strategic direction that you're already marching against and trying to tap into from an addressable market, like dark funnel is, I think it's more about prioritization. So I say that in a sense where like, cause I do believe in like the whole idea of using intent base. I mean, that's how we work here. And I would advise any company, if you don't already today, like your go-to-market efforts outbound and inbound should be very much driven if only off intent data. So we do that, but I think it's just more around using the intent to the people we already know and the companies we already know is different than driving a intent and, and experiences for companies that you're not aware of. Uh, awesome. Well, now that we have gotten that off our chest, tell me what brings you to Revenue Rehab today? Well, yeah, I was extremely excited to for for uh, the invitation. But I, you know, what brings me here today is really over the last, I would say, five plus years. You know, being and talking and growing a network of other, you know, high growth marketers, CMOs. You learn a lot about how people start, especially in the the space I'm in. I'm, you know, venture back companies. There's a lot of scaling companies uh, there today. Um, there's this constant uh, pattern, I guess, is a word I would use about being so focused on the numbers. And I think for many PE back company, you know, we have AR goals. It's important to focus on the numbers, but sometimes you lose sight of how are you moving that market? And that can be beyond numbers. And so where, where the part where I'm currently focusing on now and, you know, what I see and talk to other people about is like the need to have some sort of brand aspect to a startup scaling environment. Although you're really only measured on numbers, you're not probably measured on um, how much share of voice or, or other uh, brand metrics or direct traffic that could be. But if you're not measured on those things, it's important to have a pulse on them. So making sure you're investing in that messaging, making sure you're investing in that positioning, again, very much within the uh, the TAM that you're already trying to penetrate, like what is that brand message that overarching for the sake of an air cover? I know that can be a touchy word. <laughs> um, there's certain words that just are so repetitive in marketing and air cover is one. I know some people don't like that word, but there is a little bit of like circulating a, a group of people you're trying to influence with very much trying to get those impressions in front of them where there's a need to have a little bit of a brand play, a brand awareness play. Okay, so as we jump into demand generation and the impact of brand, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus, it gives us purpose, and most importantly, it gives our listeners an understanding of what they should expect from our conversation. So uh, I'd like to hear what do you expect to be different or what are your best hopes for our talk today? Um, I would say depending on our, you know, the, the viewers here, especially if you're um, in a role, whether you're leading demand gen, you're in a CMO role and any other executive position, it's and especially working for a company that's in a really high growth phase, is that there are ways that you can, um, you can allocate funds in order to be able to measure brand impact. So I guess my goal here would be don't be afraid if you're a leader in a, a, in a startup company to invest and have positioning with your executive team on how you're going to be able to see and drive results on that and how that helps paint the bigger picture for your future. So I hope to give some tips on things that, that we're currently doing here at Key Factor. I think that's the best way to learn is how people are doing it and also, you know, driving growth and driving top line uh, revenue, but at the same time, focusing on other mixes of the, of the bag of tricks that I say we have in marketing. Okay. So you've hit on something really key that I'd like to start with is 
talking about demand versus brand. And in a lot of companies, those are different subfunctions of marketing. Like I've seen you have brand marketers and they are the ones that are really focused on all of the brand efforts. And then you have demand gen marketers and you know those are the people that are focused on driving demand. But what I hear you talking about is brand as a component of demand. Uh, and so I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about that because it's definitely a different way of thinking by comparison to you know what I hear from a lot of CMOs and, and heads of marketing. Yeah, I, that's actually a really good point. And I should probably frame around because I feel like everything has to be in a frame of like reference point. So when I, because I do believe that there is a, if you're a hundred million dollar company, uh, you should have a brand marketer with a brand team that has a whole entire brand initiative and budget. I'm more speaking through the lens of a company who could be series A, B, C under a hundred million, who is really just focusing on that top line growth, that 50% year over year, or whatever that metric is that you're driving to your board. Um, so you're really demand performance marketing heavy on how your team is staffed. And so at that point, you might, there's a few resources that are helping support the overall arching brand of creative, of um of you know demand gen at the same time. So I'm thinking of resources that are working in conjunction with demand uh, demand generation. So people who are running programs and field marketing, so that you have obviously these turnkey programs that you're operating on. But I like what we do here is we have brand aspects of brand campaigns that are layered on to our demand gen campaigns. So we have overarching messages that are when I say persona driven, that's not too segmented and and you know, cut down to verticalize, but there are definitely subsets of our, between our product and our personas that we have specific brand messaging that's firing off regardless and not asking someone to download something or take an action. It's just very much there to maybe get a, another website visit. So it's more along the lines of a, my, I guess my frame of reference is for a company who's maybe 5 million kind of going up the mark, going up that trajectory where you really are focused on those numbers, but you're doing other components. You're focusing on what that message is and how it relates to your company mission vision, but also what is that brand messaging? How does that align with the product messaging? Because they definitely come into play together. Yeah, and I think about myself and the impact, uh, you know, as a marketer, you'd think I'd be like immune to marketing tactics, but I am so the opposite and tend to get sucked in. And I was just talking to a client recently who was trying to decide between two technologies. Yep. And my initial, like just initial reaction when she said it was, oh, I absolutely love tech A and I won't call yep. out the, the brand. And when she was like, oh, really? Like, what is it that you like about it? Yeah. And when I kind of really thought about that, I was like, I don't actually know anything about their product. Like, nothing. <laughs> no, yes. Not a. Yeah. But I have just, you know, I've attended some of their events. I've, you know, like seen a lot of their collateral, been sent some of their like industry reports. I've just engaged with this brand so much that my natural reaction was, oh, I love them. Yes. And I had never actually seen, I mean, I knew what they sold, but I had never seen it, never compared it to, you know, tech B that they were looking at. And then I did have to step back and say, let me do a more objective yeah. comparison. But that is a, a good point. And this, you know, both one of the, the, the tech A is a high growth organization mm -hmm. who has 
triple down on the brand play. And yeah. the other is a more established company, been around a lot longer, definitely does not have, I mean, they have a known brand, but I wouldn't say a strong brand. So that is a, a really good point in, in terms of how intertwined for a high growth company that brand really is. A hundred percent. I mean, even your example of before, you don't know anything about the product, but you know the name and you know that you would select that one. I mean, that speaks to the whole notion as well as people are researching, people are kind of in their own world, uh, you know, doing your everyday life, but you, the impressions of ads are a thing. There, if you, whether it's cross, I mean, I maybe it's because I'm in marketing. I notice, I love noticing how I'm being marketed to. Um, so when I see a company, especially bar tech companies, some of them are really, really, really good at it. Um, it's all about being top of mind for when someone's ready to make a, a purchase. And some businesses are cyclical and people make purchases in a certain amount of time in the year, or maybe if you're in government or federal, but other businesses, it's, you can't always, there's not always a timely event for why or knowing uh, why someone makes a, or starts their research. So I did, that's the important part of like staying in front of someone so that when you are ready, that you're, they've that already, that impression's already there. And I would say like 10 years ago, I don't know if I would, I say the words out loud right now, and I don't know if I would say the same thing 10 years ago. It's just marketing has changed so much and obviously gotten more no, uh, no, nosy, noisy. Um, <laughs> maybe a little nosy. nosy. <laughs> <laughs> really no, nosy. Um, but there's just, there's, you, there's hard to break through, right? And that's, we always talk about these. Again, the, that breakthrough could be another term, a buzzword. Like, how do you break through? And, you know, right time, right place. But there is a little bit of, you know, now is the, you're seeing that you have to differentiate a bit. And so brand helps you differentiate from some people that aren't, you know, focused on getting that message out there. So we know that focusing on brand is working in driving demand generation. Yep. What's not working? What are you seeing that people are doing that generally speaking, because I know there's always nuances, you know, one thing that sucks for someone else could be amazing yeah. uh, for a different company, but what sort of things are you seeing that people are investing in or, you know, spending resources on that are just kind of eh, not doing what we'd expect them to? This is going to be controversial, my my uh, my answer to this, I think, a little bit. I was gonna say, I and love it. It. Mean, yeah, and it, <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I don't think we should invest, but I think a lot of there's was a big play in conversational marketing, chatting. Everyone wants to have these experience, but they don't really want to be talked to, right? There's been a huge movement, and obviously, companies have been built even to the successful companies to what there are today. But I do talk to a lot of marketers who couldn't even tell you the value of their chat bot on their website like at all. That is something that we, at Key Factor, we kind of like in, have this little internal argument in marketing. People are like, oh, we don't need this. Oh, yes, we do. You know, the tool that we're using. But I will say the more that I had people on my team investigate, because I'm kind of, you get to this like hypothesis that you're like, I can test this with talking to other marketers and seeing it. So I actually got on the phone, got on three different calls. This was last year. Um, with some other um, portfolio companies were both started part of the same um the same the firm and everyone said the same thing everyone has this great chatbot i'm trying to figure out how to make it work and how to be able to show how it's driving more i mean for me it's about driving pipelines so we're in the the we want the chat to drive more conversations that talk that we talk to more people and open opportunities at the end of the day um 
but no one can see the value and you need so many resources to put against it in order for it to be successful. And so that's probably the one thing where I generally hear and can say for us, but I honestly think it's it's knowing that you have to have a lot of resources to support it. But chat chatbots, I think for the for the sake of the conversations I've had in the past uh, 12 months are probably the one thing that people are really trying hard but not seeing their return on investment. I would agree. Even though it is a controversial topic, it does seem like conversational marketing was one of those things that was a hot topic for a while. And it became one of those, like, what do you mean you don't have a chat bot? Like, what are you doing with your life? And everybody got one. But every conversation that I've had, it's kind of like, yeah, the use cases that I'm seeing where people are really successful with chat bots is on the customer service side uh, in being able to serve customers to get them answers, you know, and so my opinion is that the strong play is in customer retention and not customer acquisition. Yeah. Um, but that is, you know, again, based on my anecdotal conversations with different marketing leaders, it does seem that chat is the thing that's not working. I know, but we want it to work so well. Like I'm even saying all this and I'm still evaluating a new tool. <laughs> like, cause I want it. Like it's how, how, how I was prospected on the tool, like blew my mind away. So of course, when that happens, I'm like, Ooh, I can want to peel back all the layers and be like, okay, what is the underlying infrastructure? Like, how does this work? You knew X. And I start like kind of dissecting it, but that's when you start really understanding how something works. Yeah. And it could, that could also be the thing that it's the way that it's being deployed. You know, everything's data driven. If there's not the data on the back end to make that chat experience what it needs to be, it could be that it's not chat. That's not, you know, that's the problem. It's more what's being done with it. Yep. Totally. Always goes back to the data, right? That's where we, we yeah. first met in the data world, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> data world, so, or I was in the data world. So yeah, no, I definitely believe in everything being data-driven wherever possible. Um, so I know you mentioned that there are some things that have been working well at Key Factor, um, specifically for high-growth companies. So yeah. share a bit about that when it comes to demand, because it sounds like you guys have a really clear, you know, target audience that's kind of defined. So what are you seeing that's really effective? Um, I guess, I mean, we're having a lot of success and ABX experiences. And I think that's, uh, I say that not lightly because it's not every version of ABM, ABX is different to a, uh, different to each company. It's a very much an internal alignment thing, but we've been really successful here at Key Factor. So we have a really good, strong ABX motion and alignment internally with our team. So when we talk about um, your traditional events, digital experiences, syndication. We have a very finite program that's going that's lead-based and account-based that kind of fit together. Um, but one of the things, so we have that and there's an action we want someone to take in order for them to bubble up and, uh, you know, shoot over to the SDR team. We also have a play on these accounts in certain, in certain places where we have that general awareness, just digital just digital ads going. And I think that's probably another controversial topic that you'll hear like, oh, digital ads aren't working. I think 
I mean, I wouldn't really say digital ads uh, as far as like display ads on, you know, the Google network is a way we're going because that's not. But when you have a good account based motion with good technology supporting it with the intent data, we've been seeing a lot of excess putting brand ad dollars um, against our demand programs that are happening to those accounts and seeing a really uptick in influenced opportunities being open. So that's something where we were. Um, Again, very demand gen focused, very numbers focused. Those were always our North Star here. But we started seeing more success by adding program dollars from the brand side to those demand gen programs. So that's something like I would say is like a quick win. There was a few, there was definitely some underlying process and technology that supported why it was successful. It's not something you can just go, you have to have the right people, process and technology, I think, in order to get there. Um, but that's kind of one of the early parts where we started seeing, like, let's start doing ads that are really just about getting more coverage on this on this market in these regions so that there's more awareness. And we were seeing a lot. Again, we have that motion going. We have a strong outbound motion going. And then you have marketing who's feeding all into the intent data, driving the experience. So there's a lot of exposure of us in front of these accounts, very specific personas. And it all comes together. I mean, we look at it from a multi-channel perspective. Um, we do use attribution. <laughs> That's probably another <laughs> one or people hate. We look at it as a, as a guiding star, not versus, it's not something that we look at it to like point fingers on what's happening, but we look to see what channels are performing and where we put our program dollars. So that's where we started by just investing a little bit of program budget into that. Now, when I when we're thinking about we're in this high growth phase that, you know, we're that's the looking through a single pane. But when you start looking in the next, you know, three to five years of a company, you're really setting the stage and the foundation for where you want to be. So we've been doing a lot of work here. And I would say we as a sales enterprise sales driven organization through and through, we do really well in our product product messaging and making sure we're enabling sales with the right messaging and the battle cards and, you know, all the stuff that comes into enabling sales to be successful, especially in a very technical environment that we're in in cybersecurity. Um, but we're also, we're also giving them, you know, what it takes to be successful. And I think there's just a lot of things that, that go into, um, making sure that your sales team's successful now, but when you're looking to the future, it's about setting that right brand message. So I think my point, I was losing it for a second there. I'm like, what's the point I'm trying to make? That happens to me sometimes. It's like this little bubble. <laughs> Focusing on the future means you need to get your product messaging and your corporate and your brand messaging need to align together. So one of the things we're starting to do is we're looking at the future of our company and where we want to be, regardless of, you know, we'll hopefully go through some M&As over the next few years, you can't keep changing your story and your message as you do that. Like, what is your North Star as a business you're going to or who do you want to be known as? And so we've been really focused on that brand messaging. And again, I always, I was talking to one of my board members and I said, hey, we got the numbers down. It's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs of like focus on the numbers. When you focus on the numbers, one another thing for us is building a community. And then it's really, and then it's brand in between because those have, it has a piece that kind of fits into both of those needs as a company. So that's something where, you know, that involves getting your executive team around and really looking kind of futuristic and making sure your mission, your vision align. And that's how you really kind of build that brand messaging. So that's something exciting that, you know, we're focused on here at Key Factor as we're looking for, you know, who are, we are the company we are today, but we to be successful and, and to reach, keep growing, we need to be looking far ahead to see what it is we need. So brand has been a big focus for us going into this year. 
Okay, so I want to jump back to two things you said. First, again, sticking with talking about brand. Um, in episode five, I got to talk to Russ Somers with Lithos, um, and we talked a lot about their brand and you know the rebrand that they went through. And he really hit on in that conversation exactly what you're saying around the brand messaging and the product messaging and who do you want to be in the marketplace yeah. and the importance of that and what I'm hearing. And, you know, he and I talked about that more as a uh, present day evaluation that his company had gone through after a, a merger. And what I hear you talking about is that that same thought process that they had to go through in that moment is something that you're thinking about now, understanding that as a high growth company, you know, acquisition is generally what the plan is. Um, so it's really interesting to just uh, compare the two conversations. So anybody who hasn't listened, go back to episode five um, to just really see that this isn't a after a merger, we've got to think about how do we put these two brands together and what do we do with that positioning and messaging? But you're saying we got to now start to tell that story and not wait until there's a merger. Yes. And I would caveat to say, I mean, we just merged with another company last year. So we did product level. Like, what does this mean? It was a technology merger. Um, so we really focused and invested on product messaging. But when we were at the tail end of the product messaging, it was really when we were, I guess the reason why we did product messaging was because of the merger, but then we were also looking beyond the product as we were saying, hey, this is not going to be the only time we're going to do this and we need to create repeatable processes. So I said, while we're doing that, we can do that for when we need to enable new products or how that changes our portfolio, whenever that might be in the future. But we really need to, like, what is the corporate messaging behind the why? And I think that's, maybe that's another big takeaway is like, you got to be able to speak your why behind your company early and often. And I think there's this where it's, a you know, get, learn how to speak your why about what you do before you're forced to do it, right? Because sometimes, like, I always feel like my mentality is always to try to be ahead of what's coming, I think, naturally in life, right? Just how do I stay a couple of steps ahead? And so it's like, when we went through this merger, we focused on the product, but I felt like we were just kind of singularly looking at something as very, you know, just product driven versus like, what does this mean as brand in a company? And so that's when, yes, it was post, but it was really when we started to look at our future and saying, hey, this is going to happen again. So let's, let's set the stage and focus on brands. So everything fits into our why later on when we make these choices. And so those can be easy or very challenging conversations for uh, a CMO to have with their executive team. And I think it just depends on, you know, the relationships, but I, I think I'm probably a little more blessed uh, than, than some of the people uh, that you talk to, because I've, that's never been the challenge for me personally in my role today has been in the, my past. Um, but people understand the why and where we're going, or they're willing to invest and have the hard conversations, I think. And we can do it because we're in a place where we are, yeah, we're focusing on the right things, but we also um, are present and also focusing on the future. So sometimes it's hard to get out of your present. That I love that as a takeaway, like speak your why early and often um, and focusing on the future and the fact that it is sometimes hard to get out of your present. Um, like, I'm like, that is so true. Like, that really resonates with me. Uh, 
<laughs> um, because I mean, I can just think of how many companies, you know, I work with a variety of different clients and they're all at varying phases and just thinking about some of the hurdles that I, you know, advise some of my clients through. And that is one of them is like just pushing past the present. Um, it is a challenge. I want to jump back to one other tactical thing that you had mentioned, because this comes up a lot and it is around digital ads. Um, and, you know, with all of the, the privacy things changing and, you know, like there's conversations around what does marketing look like in a cookie-less world and, and all these sorts of things. One of the things I heard you say is, you know, kind of like when email marketing was first big, there was like this spray and pray with email. Yeah. And it seems like there's a little bit of that now with digital ads, like not as bad because, you know, they cost more, but yeah. where people are doing these broad programs and then saying, you know, display doesn't work. Um, and what I heard in what you said is that where you guys are seeing success in driving demand from digital ads is where it is truly intertwined into your ABX programs and targeting those specific companies. And I want to have you dig a little deeper into this because I know that this is a common challenge especially with those early stage and high growth companies is, yeah. you know, how, how to leverage digital in an effective way. Yeah. Um, so if we're talking through the standpoint of, again, it's making sure that you're, what are you measured on? Okay. So I always go back to that. Like you have to be very specific and anyone can talk about influence pipeline all day. So if you're talking, I'm, I'm talking in the world of like, you're talking pipeline language and not uh, MQL language. Like those are two different types of talk tracks that you're either you are or not having in your business and what marketing is measured on. Um, but the only time we put dollars against, you know, digital is through a really, really targeted approach. So I know that these companies are in market. So that's why I'm putting dollars against them. I know X is happening. So we're going to have a hyper sec, uh, focus segmented group that's getting these certain ads. Um, it isn't always like most companies, especially in early, they st you start in the, you start in running your PPC ads, right? And you try to do a little Google display on top of the PPC. But that is probably, if you're getting measured on MQLs, it's probably the route to go. But we look at the success of digital ads in two different ways. We look at it from the influence, and then we kind of couple that in through direct opening of opportunities, which is then uh, layered in with a couple other metrics of, okay, we use this model to inform the intent. Like we have multiple ways that we slice and dice, like what's marketing sourcing versus the indirect sourcing of marketing on account base. Like we look at it in a few different ways. Um, but at the same time, our my, my talk track that I'm always speaking to, to my boss is very much showing like we did, we were here. It's, you got, I, I had to make sure we were coming in from it from a historical standpoint. You gotta be able to show if it's an MQL or if it's an influenced, influenced opportunity, depending on what you're measured on, you have to be able to show value in adding those dollars to get those final outcomes. It's not always the case. When you come into talking about investing in like a platform from ABM, that's not easy for a lot of younger companies. And I think I even have discussions every day 
and this is who knows is less of a brand takeaway but it's just more of a you know here's what i've learned um once you bring in technology that you have a process and you know exactly how you're going to measure it you know exactly how you're going to drive efficiency and how you're going to show that to the business asking for a larger martech investment you know like i have never been in a company where we can show that return on investment from the ABX platform that does have digital, that does have other components into it, where I can't even imagine like 10 years ago trying to go and bat for that amount of money to invest on a platform. Like, I think it's just really goes into, maybe I'm, you know, getting off on a tangent a little bit over here, but it really goes into like, how are you utilizing the technology in order to prove value? And so for us, it's easy for me to say, oh, we have this technology, I'm showing value and these different types of metrics that matter. Um, and digital is just one of those components. I, I, like, I, I think it really goes into, you have to have the right resources and investments in order to have, um, to, to make sorry, resources uh, to make those investments to be that successful. It's not just like, oh, anyone can pick up and has a $300,000 budget and can be successful by running digital. <laughs> I'm sort of sorry to get, I'm sorry, that's not gonna work. Like you, you have to, but it is, we, we drive a lot of efficiency. And so that could be another, that's another, when you talk about the efficiency of what you drive and your marketing spend from what you, what comes on as like source pipeline or close one business, there's a lot of ways you can look at how you're driving value and efficiency and using that as a, for us, for me, my efficiency is based on the fact that we have this multi-pronged approach into how we go to market that isn't just demand focused and lead focused. There's a lot of different things that go into our go-to-market focus and effort um, that has a combination of lead-based and account-based with that ad component on top. So it's a little confusing, I'm sure, to some, but um, it's been wildly successful for us. And I think we are generally a leads based style of a company and that's the reality of it is we're not of this giant like we have this we only report an account base like i need i have a lead based funnel that i report every month every quarter up through our board that shows our conversions and everything but we also have this other motion going on we couple them together and that's where we've had so much success and it comes down to the audiences that you're using for the advertising so to summarize that what i take away from that is that You've got to have multiple things in motion yep. that each of those things needs to have clear metrics around what you're driving. The metrics, you know, the numbers you're trying to move is going to dictate the strategy. Mm -hmm. The technology is going to enable that strategy. And then you've got to have the people and resources behind the tech to make it all work. I tie that up nicely. Tie a bow. It's all wrapped nicely, right? <laughs> uh, awesome. I was going to say I got that one. Yeah, like I got um, it. But you know, talking about our changes, our challenges is just the first step, and nothing changes if nothing changes. Yeah. So in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client homework, but at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head, and I want to ask you to give us some homework. So can you summarize for our listeners, what are your key takeaways and what is that one thing that each of our listeners can do to move the needle in their demand generation and brand efforts? The one thing that you can do is tie a layer of brand 
awareness onto your demand gen campaign themes. That is the one thing that I would say that kind of sums it all in a little bow, maybe not as nice as Brandy's, but <laughs> carve out the dollars, know what you're trying to measure from it. And you will start, and again, making sure that you have the tools to measure the success. But if you have, a lot of people have very similar MarTech stacks these days. It's just all a matter of how they fire together and how they work. So generally, you probably have all these things together, but you're, people are nervous to just even put incremental amounts of money towards brand awareness because they can't show the return on investment, specifically from that vertical. When you package it all in a bow and you start looking at how they're influencing, you're going to be in a much better position. So I would say for everyone listening, your one thing is we're going to start with one place. Look at one of your initiatives that is happening and figure out how to add an additional brand play into that one initiative. Um, and then we can expand from the one. But let's start with some place that, you know, you've already got dollars tied into maybe a program that's already somewhat successful that, you know, you've got a good ROI. So throwing a little extra dollars in there for brand isn't going to hurt anything so that you can start to um, build that, uh, build that brand to support the growth. Correct. Awesome. Well, Jamie, I have enjoyed our discussion, um, but that's our time for today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Brandy. Thank you. And thank everyone for joining today. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation with Jamie. Can't believe that we are already at the end. Uh, we will see you next week. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at revenuerehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.